Warning, this episode contains some strong language. Listener discretion is advised. Listeners, I'm super excited to introduce you to my guest this time around. Uh, Lee Harlan is the author of the collection Blood Like Garnets, which is coming out with a second printing with a brand new cover this November. Lee, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, I am just in awe of the looks that you grace us with on Twitter <laughs> and uh, the spooky stuff you write. And I'm so happy to have you on the show. Oh, thank you so much. So you're going to be reading to us from snakes and snails and big old rat tails. Is that right? I am. Yes. Fantastic. Uh, we, and we'll talk about this more afterwards, but uh, you messaged me earlier today and asked, do you want me to, read from a pissed off Harry Potter response? And I said, yeah, I do. <laughs> uh, is there anything that we need to know aside from that quick intro? Uh, no, I'm going to start right at the beginning. Perfect. Ready when you are. Snakes and snails and big old rat tails. A chorus of rats, possums, and pigeons chirruped and twittered hellos as Runeheld plopped on the couch with a buttery croissant in one hand and fragrant <laughs> ginger tea in the other. A stack of unopened mail teetered on the coffee table between his feet. A chubby black rat hopped up on the table and stood on his haunches, clever paws curled against his chest and nose twitching. Please, the rat begged. <laughs> Runeheld broke off a hunk of croissant and held it out. The rat grabbed it between his front paws and nibbled. King Eep, what makes you happy? A mate, or several, and someone to wrestle. Fresh snap. <laughs> King Eep dipped one paw in the tea and lapped off the droplets. Runeheld grinned. You're wise, little friend. He crossed his legs and his foot bumped the table, sending the letters cascading. King Eep squeaked surprised irritation as he leapt to the floor. He scooped the letters into a pile and his eyes snagged on gold floral script addressed to Witch Steward Second Class, Runelda the Green. He groaned. <laughs> the Order of Abaris was ran the only school for magical arts and sciences in his region, and they believed magic was in outdated notions of gender and binaries. Any other school would have honored his name change in preference for the neutral title of wizard. He popped mm. the wax seal on the envelope, and a velvety voice poured out. <laughs> Greetings, witch sec. Skip the greeting and get on with the message, he grumbled. The letter hummed and crinkled while it fast-forwarded. An agent of the magical malfeasance and general investigative services will arrive at your home in nine days. You will aid the representative in whatever manner he or she requires. Sincerely, Warlock, Council Spokesman, and Seer, First Class, Turnadon the Silver. Letter? When did you arrive? Runeheld's stomach clenched. <sighs> nine days ago, the letter replied. So someone was coming today. He imagined his tiny house through the eyes of a Magi's agent. 
Rats scampered in the corners. A raccoon curled up atop his bookshelf, and a pair of pigeons pecked breadcrumbs on the counter. No amount of last-minute scrubbing would eliminate the musk of feathers and fur. No amount of sweeping would catch every strand of hair. He stood up straight. He was the steward of Baladria and the only living panlingual wizard. This was his city, and if the representative had a problem with his friends, or the rather pungent odor that accompanied them, they <laughs> could leave. He put on pants, however. He didn't want to meet the Magi's agent in a robe and boxers. The doorbell chimed. They were here. He wasn't dressed. The rat spilled cereal all over the kitchen table, and one of the pigeons pooped next to the coat rack. <laughs> Cursed them with biting gnats and an eternity of bad weather. He ran his hands through his hair and opened the door. A woman with a cocky smile and a shaved head stood on his stoop. His heart stuttered and his mouth dried. <laughs> Hello, Runeheld, she said. Lore, I thought you were fighting dragon poachers in Lamatria. I was. May I come in? Um. <laughs> he glanced over his shoulder at the garbage can. It shook and clattered to the floor as a pair of raccoons scuffled inside over scraps of food. It's a mess. She rolled her eyes. You know I don't care how many critters you have scampering about in there. Right? Of course. Come on in. He waved her inside. Hello there, friends. She waved at a fat possum heavily laden with clinging babies as she waddled through the living room. He chuckled to hide his discomfort. We don't have golden rhinocorns, hypnotic butterflies, and snow wolves in Bellatria. Laura raised an eyebrow. Relax, room. I'm not here to judge you, your city, your housekeeping, or your roommates. <laughs> Give me a minute to get dressed. I didn't know you were coming until about five minutes ago. She swept her ruby cape over one shoulder and leaned against the wall. Sorry you were surprised. Didn't check your mail, huh? I told them <laughs> we should have sent it by courier. Runeheld gave her a lopsided smile and darted into the bathroom. He splashed water under his arms and slipped into clean black pants and a shirt. To be honest, he wanted Lord to see him looking amazing, but he only had time for good. <laughs> when he returned to the living room, Lore sat on the couch while a raccoon circled her feet and grasping at the air. That's pause. He's trying to convince you he's starving, but he knows full well there's plenty of cat food in the bowl in the kitchen. He shot the <sighs> raccoon a stern look. Pleasure to meet you, Paws. Lore grinned, showing off her adorable rabbitish overbite. The raccoon snorted and lumbered away. Runeheld sat beside her. Laura was silent for a long moment, as if unsure what to say. She cleared her throat. It's been a long time. I'm sorry about that. Runeheld breathed out his anxious energy. You've been busy. She picked the nail of her index finger. How has Baladria treated you? Are you happy? She asked. Fine. I've missed you and everybody, though. No one seemed to want to stay in touch after... I know. They're just scared about what happened. But it's still not right. I'm sorry, she said. He coughed. Um, uh, why are you here? Have you been reading the papers? He grimaced. I'm a bit behind. She <laughs> smiled. Have you kept up on what the papers are calling the ghoul? Some. I read someone killed a golden rhinocorn and mutilated a dragon in Gerverk and murdered some people. She rolled her eyes. Yes, and murdered some people. <laughs> I believe they cut off some uh, 
parts. Yes, the parts infused with are the focal point for magic. The horn of a golden rhinocorn, roots of a tree sprite, fairy wings, a seer's eyes, dragon scales, and a werewolf's pelt. Gathering ingredients for a spell or curse. With ingredients that dark, maybe even summoning something evil across the veil, Morris said. Your fancy team of highly trained support researchers and librarians couldn't identify it by the ingredients? No. Whatever this is, it's not a ritual ever recorded and registered by the council. And have you bothered to ask any sorcerers? They do specialize in the unrecorded and unregistered. Lord glared at him. Of course I have. None of them will talk to me. The most I got was a suggestion to investigate summoning rituals for banished gods, which makes sense. To bring a god back, you need a body. But I have no idea which god would require a body made of those things. His heart sank. Of course. Who better to question the close-lipped sorcerers than the son of the infamous sorcerer Nalassia? She held up her hands. No, this isn't about that. The ghoul is here, or headed this way. I found the tree sprite yesterday, an hour south. She shuddered. I won't go into the gorier details, but I'm certain the sprite was alive when the ghoul took their roots. The hairs on his arm stood on end. Sprites were irritating tricksters, especially if they knew you were in a hurry. But they were harmless. Hmm. Why would they have any interest in Belladria? They're probably headed north to Shale Point. She smirked. Really, Rune? Your modesty borders on naivete. Yes, there are indeed wizards raising all kinds of magical creatures in Shale Point, but none of them are panlingual. You mean the ghoul wants my... Oh, gross. His tongue <laughs> suddenly felt heavy in his mouth. It would fit the pattern. Have there been any strangers in town? Baladri is small, but we have one of the best views in the world of the Solstice Fairy Mating Dances, which are next week. There are lots of people in town for that, but nobody has stood out. I haven't noticed anyone with wizard marks besides you and me. He nodded at the protective blue runes tattooed on Laura's scalp and hands. Well, we'll start looking. In the meantime, you have a new roommate. Her lips curled in a teasing, confident smile that made his stomach drop and his palms sweat. The next morning, Rune held padded past Lore, snoring softly on his couch. From the doorway, he gave a pointed look at the rats. Keep quiet and let her sleep. King <laughs> Eve raised his head from a pile of cereal and gazed at him defiantly for a long moment, and then returned to his meal, crunching more delicately. Where do you think you're going? Lore rubbed her eyes. Sorry, I didn't mean to wake you. I've got work. There's a sick little goat who needs a healing potion. To her credit, she didn't roll her eyes, though sick goats probably seemed unimportant to someone who fought poachers and monsters. Give me five minutes to get dressed. The warped wood of the front porch creaked under his feet as he paced back and forth. Despite the warm sun, his arms prickled, and he felt eyes boring into his neck. Finally, Laura stepped outside, and they ambled down the road. Her lush crimson cape flapped behind her, marking her as not from around here, and his neighbors looked up from their gardening and laundry to stare. Someone is watching us, Laura said. You stand out. Everybody's watching us. Something hungrier than your curious neighbors. Don't you feel it? He did, but he'd hoped it was nerves and she was wrong about him being the target. Yes, I feel it. You think it's the ghoul? Who else? She said. I'll make this fast. She held out her hands. Runeheld hesitated and then took her warm, rough hand in his. 
He closed his eyes and pictured Rolota's house. The air chilled and sucked at his skin as the room swirled and disappeared. The few seconds they spent in the veil seemed to stretch into minutes. The air was icy gray mist, marbled with viscous black that moved like maple syrup through a spiderweb of veins. Voices mm. soft and muscled as if through a thick blanket murmured and shouted. Restless dead souls pled to return to the world, and battling gods clashed, playing out ancient grudges, despite being long banished from the world. Runehel didn't often travel by Veilstream. He'd been entranced by it as a teenager, never having been more than a mile from his hometown. Veil traveled opened the world to him. As an adult, it didn't seem worth the dread blooming in his gut at the sound of all those voices to shave a few minutes off his trip. Eladriel was small. But, foolish as it was, he didn't want Lore to think he'd forgotten or grown too scared of the veil in the years since his mother died inside it. Rolota met them at the front gate with Barley the goat at her side. <laughs> Runeheld sat in the grass and stroked the goat between the ears until she relaxed and laid her small black and white head in his lap. She smelled pleasantly like warm hay, but each breath sounded like someone blowing bubbles through a straw. Mm. I'm going to give you medicine. It's not going to taste good at all. I'm sorry, but you're going to feel better, okay? The goat gave a weak bleat of assent and sat still as the bitter, odorous liquid trickled down her throat. Her eyes brightened and her bleats grew stronger. That should do it. She'll still need water, food, and extra attention. The sickness is gone, but she's still weak. Thank you, Runeheld. Your mother would be so proud of you, Rolota clasped his hand. His heart quickened. It was a beautiful sentiment, but even 15 years after her death, it still hurt to be reminded of her. Hmm. Thank you. Relota, have you seen any strangers in the last two days? Laura asked. We've got a lot of strangers in town. Solstice is coming, and we're one of the best places in the world to view the fairy mating dances. <laughs> I've heard that, Laura smiled. Anybody who didn't seem interested in the fairies or struck you as strange? Maybe someone asking about Runeheld, she glanced at him. Willota's brow furrowed. You're not in any trouble, are you? You know folks would help if you are. Not a person in Beladre who can't say they passed a winter easier thanks to you. And a few who wouldn't have survived at all. If there's anything you can do, don't worry, I'll ask, he said. You better... My own mother would rise from her grave to slap me if I let harm come to the only wizard who ever cared about us all the way out here. Now let's see. She tapped her index finger against her chin. Come to think of it, a fella came by early yesterday morning, bit of an odd one. Didn't say anything about Runeheld, but he was very interested in buying a quart of goat's milk. When I asked if he was here for the fairies, he said yes, but... He said it like my question surprised him, you know, like maybe he didn't know about the mating dances at all. <laughs> what did this man look like? Flora asked. Merlotto chewed her lower lip and scrunched her forehead. Odd. I have such a memory for names and faces, but all I remember is he had on a huge black hat. You know, the kind popular in cities among the rich gents who think a big hat will hide their bald spots. <laughs> I know the type. When did Barley get sick? Flora asked. Rilota pursed her lips. Yesterday morning? Are you suggesting? Laura shook her head. I'm not suggesting anything. I just want all the information I can get. I think that's it. <laughs> Rilota nodded at Laura. You're going to keep an eye on our Runeheld, right? You have my promise, Laura bowed. Rilota grabbed his arm and leaned in, her lips so close he smelled coffee on her breath. <laughs> I like her. By the moony look in your eyes, you better find a way to get her to stick around. 
His cheeks warmed. He wanted to explain that Laura was here for a short time, but his tongue refused to cooperate. She laughed and gave him a gentle push. He followed Laura in her fluttering cape away from the house. When they were out of earshot and he regained use of his tongue, Lunheld said, What would be the point of cursing a goat? To confirm your panlingual, which means I'm right about him watching us right now. And you can't mm -hmm. sense where he is. She squinted and scanned the horizon. The air warmed and smelled like ozone as she reached out with her magic, trying to sense the ghoul. She sighed. No, whoever he is, he's good at hiding. I sense someone's near, but I can't pinpoint where. And you? No, you were always better at that than me. What now? That sounds like a good spot to stop. My goodness. I find that so delightful. <laughs> uh, it has such a queer Studio Ghibli feel to me. I love that description. I mean, like, if we can get one aesthetic in the world, that's the one I want. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so you, uh, as I said in uh, introducing the story, you, you came to me and said, what about a uh, queer Harry Potter response Mm -hmm. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about, uh, sort of how that story came about and how it came about getting trunked? Yeah. Um, originally part of the, like the seed was I wanted to write something that was more inclusive of kind of my own version of masculinity, which is, mm. you know, I'd rather be home and I want to take care of baby goats and maybe have some rat friends. Mm -hmm. um, and then was talking to some people. This was kind of before JK started with all of the really intense turf shit that I wrote this. But, mm -hmm. you know, we were talking about, like, what are world building problems we have with Harry Potter? And that included, like, well, we have all these gender segregated dorms, but nobody's kissing inside any of them. <laughs> um, everybody's apparently cis and very binary mm -hmm. and nobody's queer and it just felt mm, you know yep yeah and also you know there's just all these kind of fun magic things that she puts in there but you don't really get to live inside many of them like one of my favorites was that he can talk to snakes like i wanna mm -hmm. why would you not just like go to the zoo and hang out with some pythons and just like that be a snake handler I mean, or something <laughs> come on yeah that sounds right? great snakes seem way more interesting than most of the people he went to school with so yeah. <laughs> or like what the hell are the garter snakes outside talking about Mm-hmm. yeah for real <laughs> and i think that uh that sense of lived inness is uh, something that came through strongly and is part of what suggested Studio Ghibli to me mm -hmm. was that is, uh, you know, those are those same very uh, inhabited worlds. Mm -hmm. um, and the other obvious comparison to make, uh, and, you know, my job here as podcast host is to flatter you endlessly, <laughs> uh, is oh, to uh, Earthsea that it had oh. also that same sense of uh, sense of kindness to it mm -hmm. that I think is 
you know, key to that series. Yes. Um, so that's, that's, a you know, where it came from. And, mm-hmm. uh, what was its story after that? You know, I think, I think that that's, uh, sometimes it's just a matter of, I ran out of markets and sometimes it's, you know, it stopped feeling like the right thing. Yeah. Um, Honestly, mostly the the running out of markets. It's long. It's almost seventy five hundred words. That and would I think do it. That yeah. So there's only you know a handful of markets it can go to in the first place. And I just kind of kept getting feedback that was like, I really like this and I like the world, but. And then I kind of realized that maybe the but was that it actually needs to be longer, like mm-hmm. a novella or something, as opposed to trying to artificially chop bits off of it so mm-hmm. I, I trunked it and hopefully one day i'll go back to it because yeah, i do really absolutely. like it i mean that is uh that's a struggle that i've had quite a lot is this thing is way too short for the thing it actually wants to be and it's yes. only you know it's only been in the last couple of years that i've figured out how to write anything really long form and actually finish it mm-hmm. and like get the story into the size that it wants to be. Right. Yeah. I think I, and I do write more naturally at novelette and higher. Mm-hmm. I have a little trouble cause I just, I don't know. I come up with too many, too many plots and sub <laughs> and yeah, too many yeah. characters. So many, I mean, you know, le- less than a lot of cishet white guys writing big doorstopper novels, but yes, <laughs> That's, uh, you know, not too difficult. Mm-hmm. So one of the other things that I have here in our our sort of notes to look through in this conversation is that you have a cursed story. <laughs> I do. I do have a cursed story. It is. It actually did finally get published, but it's called <laughs> Blood Makes the Fruit Grow Sweeter. And... It has been accepted actually three times. <laughs> and as far as I can tell, it must have been the curse that closed down two markets after oh, no. acceptance. <laughs> and then the, the, another, the next submission that it went out on, it hung out for 395 days before I got a form rejection. Oh, no. <laughs> and then I sent it out again to dark moon digest which is where it ended up being published Mm -hmm. Um, but it was there for 400 days before they officially accepted it which not a lot of markets i would sit around there for but i actually really like max and Lori, and they were like in communication Mm -hmm. about it so i was like okay okay i'll sit it out it's fine the story is cursed anyway and i don't want to push it y'all might close if i do so Uh uh-huh but yes, so oh, it is out goodness. there finally, but it took a long ass time. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, you know, just over two years, like almost two and a half years just for those two, two markets. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and I think it was, it was a better part of a year that it closed down two different, two different magazines. Oof. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, publishing... You know, I I think it's easy in, like, 
this age of instant gratification to forget mm-hmm. how slowly publishing moves sometimes. It really does, yeah. Even even short stories. It's not just the yeah. long stuff sometimes. I mean, there, there are, you know, a handful of markets we can name that yeah, will chew through slush in yep, a yep, day or two, but... Or, or shoot you right in the heart, like, two hours later, and you're like, oh, yeah. okay, well, that wasn't a tough decision for you, was it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think I've gotten a zero-day reje- rejection from The Dark The before. Dark, yep, yep. <laughs> Which, like, fair, I don't tend to write quite as dark as they want to see, but it's still <laughs> intense. Uh-huh. Yep. It is good. You mentioned uh, one of the things that gets you through this is writer friends and cookies. Yep, yep, yep. Those are those are extremely important. They're just unbelievably important. Yeah. Um. So, can you talk to us a little bit about your collection, which we have this new, gorgeous new cover coming out, uh, "Blood Like Garnets." Yes. Um. So we. Put it out towards the end of last year from TKO, which is actually a comic book publisher. Mm-hmm. Um, they they approached me originally. They wanted to put some like short fiction content on their website, so mm-hmm. they came to me with a story idea about a bunch of friends at a karaoke bar, and I wrote nice. that. And then um, they were like, "Hmm, what if we did a collection instead?" So I was like, "Okay, I'm not gonna say no to that." Mm-hmm. Um, and also, hey, what if we illustrate it? And the illustrations are amazing. Like, honestly, even if you don't like reading short fiction, it's worth the cover price for Maria's drawings because they're amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we put that out and it, you know, it's done pretty well. I've been really happy with it, but they're decided that they want to do um, kind of like a print line. So they're mm-hmm. doing a, a big re-release of that, as well as um, some other books are all coming out in November. That's super awesome. Yeah. And they let you do a bunch of, like, wacky stuff that goes against, <laughs> you know, sort of conventional wisdom there, yes. too. Yes, yeah. Like that karaoke story they came to me with, I was like, well, what if it was in second person? And they were like, cool, go for it. And I was like... Yeah. <laughs> Also, you wrote a bat-induced global zombie pandemic I and then COVID. I did. I did. <laughs> and I, I felt really bad because the point of the story was, like, bats are actually really good. And the only time they cause problems is because we're terrible to them. Mm-hmm. But then COVID happened and there was, like, all these people saying terrible things about bats. And I was like, oh, God, can I take it back? <laughs> bats Keep are bats our names friends. out your mouths. <laughs> yes. They are our friends. Bats are... I mean, food in a pinch, but friends not food. Yes, yes. Yep, if you... If you like tequila and a sky not completely riddled with mosquitoes, you need (laughs) to keep the bats around. Yep. Oh. Bats are so great. They are great. I was, like... This is, you know, completely unrelated to anything else, but I was so excited when your user picture came up with a bat <laughs> on it. <sighs> yeah, I actually think my business cards that I never really use for anything say, like, writer <laughs> and bat enthusiast on them. Good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's so funny. I I have, like, a huge stack of 
of writer business cards, which are like really handsome. I I absolutely love them, but I never use them. Yep. And especially like you know, I I think I got them in like in the lead up to the San Jose World Con, and I was like, I'm gonna like hand out a bunch of business cards there and like do that face to face networking, and then COVID comes around and I haven't. <laughs> I, I've seen one science fiction writer in person in the mm-hmm. last, I don't know how long at this point, and that's because they live two blocks away from me. <laughs> yeah. Not anybody who necessarily needs a business card to remember you. No. Yeah. Yeah, I printed mine right before NorwestCon, and then COVID shut it down, and I was like, well, yes, I got this box of of cool business cards now. Yep. So, you know, next time there's an in-person con that we feel good about going to... Everyone's getting business cards. I'm just throwing them at people. (laughs) Absolutely. I'll make them into little paper airplanes and just, like, chuck them across the conference room. Fantastic. (laughs) Um, Do you have any other uh, stories from the trenches that are, like really illuminating for i mean i i my impression from the very limited sample size is that a lot of uh of the listeners of this show are uh like mid-career already writers and have been through a lot of this but for those Mm -hmm. early career folks uh you know it's it's always i i find it very reassuring to talk to other people and hear about the crazy situations they've gotten into that make it feel like make me feel better about the stuff that's happened for me (laughs) yeah let's see um well there was my novella queens of noise that came out from neon hemlock recently but Mm -hmm. was originally coming out from fireside and that oh. was a little bit of an online scandal kerfuffle that happened when they canceled that, the entire novella line. That was a thing that happened. That was a thing yep. that happened. Yep. Yeah. So that that sucked because I can't I can't even remember how long they had that novella after they accepted it before they finally told us it was more than a year anyway. Hmm. Um, yeah. So that was that was kind of heartbreaking. That was like my first long thing that was going out in the world the highest profile market i'd ever gotten into and it was just like oh well there's my heart there's my heart uh it is it is worth saying you know not that it helps with this but for listeners who might not have caught up on everything that uh our good friend L.D. Lewis is stepping in as publisher in the fall yes i'm so excited for that like that's i'm so happy yeah you know, I mean, she's been doing amazing work as the AD over at FIA, and I mean, she'll be still working with FIA in some capacities, but yeah, yeah it's going to be super exciting to have her taking the helmet at Fireside. Yep, yeah. I'm very excited about that. And it definitely, I mean, I'll always have a little bit of like a, uh, you, but it's definitely, uh-huh. it's definitely healing the rift in my heart about Fireside a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. And uh, speaking of Neon Hemlock, uh, our previous guest this month, uh, Primi Muhammad, also just had her new novella out from Neon Hemlock. Yeah, we did her book Uh, launch on Instagram last night. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, Neon Hemlocks is doing such great things with the novellas. I haven't. They're doing so much good work there. Yeah, yeah. I haven't read one that I was like, hmm. it's like no, these are all just fucking amazing. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to think. I feel like I've had at least three folks I can think of now, including you, who have had just awesome experiences with Neon Hemlocks novellas because. Mm-hmm. Uh, Obviously, Preemie, two-time guest of the show, and Caitlin Starling was also yes. on last uh, last summer, fall, sometime right before uh, Yellow Jessamine came out. Yeah. That book is, oh, tense. I love it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, one of the things that uh, I really love from your fiction that I've read is the spookiness of it. We are a couple of spooky ghouls with big hearts. Yep. (laughs) Uh, And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit, because I know this is a conversation I have with people sometimes about what it is particularly about the spooky stories that makes you want to write them and want to read them really good question because i feel like that any day that you ask me i will almost always have a different answer to that question um, perfect i mean i've always read horror like i was that weird little fourth grader reading stephen king at the in the back <laughs> of the bus or something um yeah i don't know like in some ways it's cathartic the world's kind of fucking scary especially if you're a marginalized person mm-hmm. so it can be cathartic to put some of those things out there to live through scary things that are adjacent but not exactly that and Mm -hmm. you know that you know things might not be all right in the end of the book but it's fiction you can put it away and it's cool Mm -hmm. um and also i don't know i'm just kind of like stuff that people generally associate with being like gross or creepy like (laughs) bats and rats and possums and shit so it's just like I don't know. I just feel a little bit more drawn to that side of the the spooky aisle. Mm-hmm. And I also like fish, fiction that's really visceral. Mm. That like, and I, I feel like it's, it's hard to top fear for that, like really, really visceral feeling. I kind of feel like it's a little bit of a, a partner to erotica in that way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, there's, uh, Speaking once again of Neon yep. Hemlock, there is Void Junk. Yes, which, which I have is... written for. Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely I recommend have it. Written for and uh, yep. me and and another friend of the show, Sarah Lock, are editing an, uh, mm-hmm. an issue of it soon. Yay. I'm excited. Yeah, Void Junk is great. <laughs> it is so good. It's so uh, weird and fun. I love it. It is. For. for uh, Folks who are not aware of Void Junk, it is a uh, speculative horror erotica occasional mm-hmm. zine. Um, and it's just had so many, like, fun and completely off the beaten path uh, stories and poems and and doodles and other artwork in it. Mm-hmm. It's just so much fun. Yep. Um, Dating advice from the Void. Yeah. Advice from the Void is my absolute favorite. <laughs> yeah. Uh it's it's 
uh, it's good that you mentioned the uh, aspect of being of the tie between being a marginalized person or a person with marginalized identities and this attraction to horror because I feel like there is um, specifically with queerness there's a really deep tie mm-hmm. between queerness and horror and especially with uh, people who are occupying trans spaces yes. to uh, connect to that visceral side of horror and that there's like a lot of body horror mm-hmm. that gets to explore lets authors explore their queerness in some ways and lets lets readers explore their own queerness through these mm-hmm. experiences that I think yep. is just super cool. Absolutely, yeah, me too. And also kind of taking those narratives away from people who have, you know, written things like Silence of the Lambs or whatnot, making mm-hmm. transness the villainy. And then just yep. kind of being like, well, fuck it. If you want a monster, I will make you a fucking monster. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. It is like, you know, I, I think we all as horror fans have consumed a lot of problematic horror mm-hmm. media in the past. Yeah. Um, especially because a lot of the like sort of foundational works mm-hmm. are very highly problematic in a lot of ways. Uh, Even, I mean, even things like, um, oh, why can't I remember that Richard Matheson story that was in the Trilogy of Terror uh, with the Zuni doll? I know what you're talking about, too. It'll be in the show notes. Listeners, it'll be in the show notes. Uh, It is is fantastic. It is problematic. Yes. But But, it is just a fantastic... Mm-hmm. story but it is so cool to see uh more recently especially that there's so much more queer horror that is being written and owned and produced by queer people mm-hmm. um and i mean also just like us deciding because of a coding error that the Babadook was now a queer icon. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I just, like, I'm thinking back to how many of my guests have, uh, have written in or especially, like, brought things from that horror space to this show and how... Mm-hmm just how many of them are queer. Yeah. That, yeah. I I don't have a conclusion to this. So that, yeah, I, no, just, so... I just want more queer horror. Absolutely, yeah. Like, um, we're a bunch of weirdos out here and getting to make the cishats uncomfortable is, I think, great. Yep, absolutely. And I'm also a big fan of the... Uh, um a lot of the really great books that have come out of black and brown folks writing in Lovecraftian mm-hmm. worlds. Yeah. Cause that is yeah, also a sure. really phenomenal fuck you. And yeah. Speaking, I, of, speaking of preemie. <laughs> speaking of preemie and, and uh, the world fantasy award 
uh, finalists were announced today. And uh, speaking of, of writing in that mode, uh, Ring Shout by P. Jelly Clark. Oh, it's so good. Is exactly that. And yep. also, I feel like it just maybe got canceled or something. I don't follow TV, but uh, uh, Lovecraft Country yeah. is also in that space where, you know, it's it's one of those things where it feels, you know, powerful for me as a queer person, and I'm, I'm sure I can't speak for people of color because I am as pasty as they come, but uh, I... I imagine for people of color it feels really empowering that we are in a place where we're no longer just we're we're no longer asking permission to write these stories and to have them put in front of people's eyes but we are actually like making it happen mm-hmm. and uh you know getting to tell these stories from the lens of our own marginalizations as opposed to just straight white people telling these yeah. stories about homophobia or race or any number of other things. Yep, absolutely. Like it I I'm just thinking about like the difference between the difference between like Night of the Living Dead and Train to Busan. Yeah. That, like, they are tackling some of the same things, mm-hmm. but, and they are, you know, you can both lump them in largely as, these are zombie movies. Right, but, yes, but. Yeah, the, the, the differences there mm-hmm. are really astounding. Yeah. I just introduced my partner to Train to Busan recently, so good. So there's so much you would think people would be over like pandemic media mm-hmm. in the year of our Lord 2021, but I think it's even better in yeah. some ways. I, yeah, I think it's kind of one of those two types of people. I never want to see it or I find it really cathartic just injected into my veins. It's all I'm watching mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, coming back to just horror in general, that there is, um, there's something comforting about being able to control the awful things that are happening, both from the standpoint of the author and the consumer, that, like, if it's too much, I close the book. <laughs> and Skip ahead over this part. Yep. Yep. I... I know that this will be triggering to me. I am going to skip it. Yep. And also, thank God for people who actually care about trigger warnings. Yeah. <laughs> um, so to to bounce media a little bit, although it, it is also occupying that horror space, I did just hear this weird sound in in the background. I don't know if it came through, but this blue police box just showed up in here. <laughs> And I'm wondering, really, sometimes I just have to force this transition, but what are you going to do? I'm wondering if uh, if we can step into this time machine and go back to talk to early career, pre-career 
Lee, and see if there's anything, uh, any wisdom that you'd like to give your younger, uh, earlier self now that uh, you think would be helpful for the past you and for the present uh, young writers who are listening to this, uh, whether young in, in age or just in career. Yeah. Let's see, I would tell myself... Not just don't self-reject, but don't self-diminish. Like, I feel like almost all of the things that I first started putting out, I just didn't even bother to send them to mm. higher-paying markets um, and would just go straight to, like, token markets and things like that, which, not that those places aren't doing cool stuff. Some of them absolutely are, but, yeah, you know, don't sell yourself short. It's okay. You will get rejected, and it's fine. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, work on building community faster if you can mm -hmm. um, the internet is phenomenal I mean it's a trash fire but it's also phenomenal so, so yes yes it is definitely that too <laughs> um, and even if you don't think you are at a point in your career that you need one have a website mm-hmm that is the only reason I started working with TKO was because they heard a story on Pseudopod and then they found me on my website and emailed yeah. me through my contact form. Fantastic. So, <laughs> yep. Have a website, have some way for people to find you. Yeah. Um, so the part about not self-diminishing, I think is really great and is something that I feel like I've, seen questions that are kind of around that before that kind of touch on like you know it's it's really kind of bizarre how we as an industry talk about different levels of pay for markets that mm -hmm. people it it's sometimes you know if you if you don't have that community to to touch on on your second point it's hard to have anybody around to tell you semi-pro just means pay scale and it doesn't have anything to do with who you are as a writer how many things you have or haven't published right yes absolutely and that's like you know i i think i had the advantage of growing up in a, a household where my dad worked at magazines uh before I was born and, and when I was a young person. Uh, and so, like, I sort of knew, like, okay, well, anybody can break into any magazine at any time. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you're just looking on, like, the submission grinder or something, you might not know, like, okay, semi-pro is, is literally just this label we use for pays more than a uh, pays at least a cent a word but doesn't but doesn't pay sifwa pro rates right yes and like also just kind of wacky to think like okay everybody from my perspective everybody defines pro as whatever sifwa defines mm -hmm. yeah not could you live on it but <laughs> yeah you know, maybe at one point, maybe, but yeah. even then, not, not, yeah. not really. Yeah. Oh God, it's tangent. Have you seen the Deep Space Nine episode where they they go back in time, um, and they're 
and Avery Brooks, um, Cisco was working at like a sci-fi publisher and he gets a big break and they're paying him like three cents a word or something like that. <laughs> I have not seen that. That is fantastic. I yeah. will... It's an amazing episode. It's actually really, really good. But that part just kind of like, oh, ow. Because <laughs> that's supposed to be yeah. back in like the 40s, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, when I started down this career path, uh, heavy air quotes on career path, <laughs> since I don't make my money as a writer or even a podcaster, mm-hmm. but uh, I think that three cents a word was still, it wasn't the pro rate anymore, but it was still like considered a pretty good rate mm-hmm. when I started trying to break in and like that was what weird tales was paying in like 2005 2006 mm-hmm. and and i think sifwa pro was five cents a word at that point so like i think i think i started trying to get published shortly before they went to six cents yeah yeah which again that's been it's been a hot minute since that happened mm-hmm. like I think pro right now is eight cents a word, and that is uh, not not a lot of money. Mm-mm. Not a lot of money. Nope. Um. Yeah, but it is you know having having a community around you. Uh, what what have been some of the things that have helped you in building your own writing community? God, I hate to say it, but Twitter. <laughs> I know, it's so bad to to have to say it, but oh, it's true. It's true. That's where I met, um, yeah, most of the people who are part of my writing community now or got introduced via somebody I knew on Twitter to somebody else. Yeah, and yet it's, yeah. it's a terrible, terrible place. <laughs> it is, and it, it feels like it gets worse every, every single day. Yeah, it really does. But I also definitely owe a lot of my career to making the connections I did via Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I absolutely same. Like all of, uh, I won't say everybody who was in on the first season of this show I met through Twitter, mm-hmm. but a good portion of them I met either through Twitter or through like circumstances or, that grew out of meeting people through Twitter. Yeah. And it's really wild to me to think like, oh, I've known some of these people for like five, six, seven years, met them on Twitter and like look at where they are now. Mm -hmm. But it also is like a really great reminder to like, even if Twitter collectively is a, is a dumpster fire, like, you don't have to be a like yep. you don't have to contribute to that <laughs> and in fact you should anti contribute to that yes, and yes. be kind to people on twitter cuz you don't know yep and utilize blocks and mutes and muting of words to keep your yeah. own yeah tailor your experience yeah. to keep yourself safe yeah and you don't owe yourself to anybody just Yep. yep. <laughs> use lists. Curate mm-hmm. your lists. Use yep. use private lists. 
Okay. Users, if you don't if you don't know the magic of private lists on Twitter, I mean, I'm not going to encourage you to go out and join Twitter if you're not on Twitter, <laughs> but if you are on Twitter, use lists, please. <laughs> yep. And just block people who are awful yep. immediately. Yep. Don't look back. Don't think you're going to regret it later. You mm -hmm. won't. Absolutely not. But then be kind. Yes. Because you don't know, you know, you don't, you don't, you can't know who people are going to become and it doesn't matter who they're going to become even. Right. Yeah. Because they're people. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of people on Twitter. You'll be okay without finding out if that one person who was a massive asshole to you has personal growth sometime in the next 15 years. Like uh, you're fine without them. Yeah. Cool. You do not know, owe them any of your emotional energy for them to experience character growth. Nope. Absolutely not. Yeah. I got my first, um, I was going to buy this book, but I saw the author had blocked me on Twitter. So I didn't. And oh. I was like, Oh, I've made it. <laughs> <laughs> Bingo square. You didn't know you needed I to know. add. It's like, Oh, you wouldn't have liked it anyway. Probably. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Um, so before we get going, are there any works, uh, and this is something I've been trying to just build up recently, are there any works that you really want to hype up? Anything that you're super excited about reading or that you've read recently that you really loved that you want our listeners to know about? Um, I've mostly been yelling about Premie's Neon Hemlock novella that just came out yesterday. And everybody should buy it. Cause it's everybody good. should buy it. If, if, what, what can we offer you tonight? It's so good. And what can we offer you tonight? Uh, listeners, if you didn't listen to our previous episode, our first August episode, or if you listened to it and were somehow still on the fence, this is your commandment. Mm -hmm. Go get that book. Yep, yep. It's amazing. The cover art is fantastic. It's got a giant fish on it. <laughs> The giant fish is plot relevant. Uh-huh. Let's see, what else have I read recently? Oh, um, Charlie Jane Anders' Victories Greater Than Death was yes. my partner and I's adorable bedtime reading book, and it's so good. Oh, that's just, fantastic. Yeah. Makes my heart. It, yeah. Again, just one of those, like, one of those rising voices that just keeps rising. Mm -hmm. Yep. And Darcy Little Badger's Alatsaway. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. For some reason, I can only think of our, like, bedtime books right now. I can't think of any <laughs> of, like, the... That's fair. Yeah. It's like, oh, I don't know. I the mean, world's been a lot. Nice the stories are nice. The world has been a lot. Uh, and, yeah. Absolutely. Yep. And, you know, they're is something to be said for some good, lighthearted, uh, zombie courtesan bedtime reading. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so before we get going, where can our listeners find you? Um, well, you can find me on Twitter at <laughs> Lee Harlan. Um, and it's Harlan, H-A-R-L-E-N. A lot of people want to make it an A. Um, yep. And you can find me, my website is the same, leeharland.com. I try Fantastic. to update it, sort of, <laughs> when new stuff comes out, anyway. 
I am I am making the sweat smile emoji face right now <laughs> because I don't remember the last time I updated my website. I think I still need to remove my these are the things that are eligible for award nominations post and have it. I will one day. Yeah. That's why I've just been doing them as audio episodes. You can mm-hmm. listen to it or not, and yeah. it comes with the show notes, but that pushes to a feed and I don't have to worry about it extra because I'm just making the podcast episodes anyway. Yep, that makes sense. Well, uh, Lee, thank you so, so much for being on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. I've had a lot of fun. Yeah. Listeners, stick around next month when our amazing guests will be Sarah Hollowell and Elsa Sonnison. Yeah, I know. Well, I about Elsa. both of those. Yes. Tales from the Trunk is mixed and produced in beautiful Oakland, California. Our theme music is Paper Wings by Ryan Boyd. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash trunkcast. All patrons of the show now get a sticker and logo button, along with show outtakes and other content that can't be found anywhere else. You can find the show on Twitter at Trunkcast, and I tweet at HBBisniex. If you like the show, consider taking a moment to rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform. And remember, don't self-reject. <laughs> <laughs>